0: Learn more at marines.com. This podcast is sponsored by Royal London, who, as proud sponsors of One Day Cricket, are also the UK's largest mutual life pensions and investment company, providing financial services to millions of people across the country. To find out more, visit www.royallondon.com. Welcome to The Analyst Inside Cricket. I'm Simon Hughes and we've got a day off today because, of course, England polished off South Africa in four days on the sort of Lord's pitch that, actually, you probably only find in Abu Dhabi. It was a sort of desert-like pitch in the end and England exploited it brilliantly.
2: I don't think I've ever seen a Lord's pitch like that. Do
0: but you know? You- no, I haven't. And, in fact, it was weird because I, I posted on the first day that I'd never seen a, a pitch as green as this at Lord's But it was dry underneath, and the reason why it was so green was because it was so dry underneath. And in the end, actually, the the Lord's
2: Roundsman said it's the hottest he's ever known a Lord's Test match, temperature-wise as well. Well, although it was green, it was actually a great toss to win from Joe Rupert. South Africa can't complain too much about the surface because they were their own worst enemies on that first day, weren't they? I mean, dropping catches, wickets off no balls, conservative captaincy. We'll hear from Mike Hazeman, one of South Africa's leading commentators on South Africa's failings, and also from one of your old teammates, Vincent van der Beyl, who's involved in a long-term project to improve, transform South African cricket and South African sport in general. So, a crushing win for England, uh, let's, let's pick the bones out of England's victory. I mean, obviously great for Joe Root. We focused on Joe Root in the podcast last week and we said good luck, Joe Root. Well, he, he did need a bit of luck, didn't he, on that first day? But, goodness me, he made South Africa pay. Criminal misses. The the one from Dooney
0: at backward point was, probably wasn't that easy. But you, you know you've got to take those sort of chances off a player like Joe Root. And obviously the top edge to deep fine leg to the twelfth man who was in the wrong place. I guess it can happen. It's a long boundary down there to the Warner stand. He was just creeping in off the line, probably ten meters. It went over his head. I mean, as a bowler, oh my God, you just lose it completely when a top edge which you've induced with a good bouncer goes over the fielder's head and goes for four
2: that he was only on the field for that over, wasn't he? Aidan Markham, he comes onto the field, you're probably thinking, oh, but, you know, feel a bit of the atmosphere of Lords, I'm on the field, and then suddenly, actually, as it turned out, it was probably that the well, one of the, if not the crucial moments of the whole Test match. If he got rid of Root then, who knows what might have happened.
0: I think that winning the toss, batting first, was always going to be a, a big advantage, given that what happened with the weather, being very dry and very hot as long as England could get some kind of decent score. I know you know Root got 190, but I could sort of see somebody else getting them if he hadn't, right. in a way. I mean, he, he sort of batted as he does with that, in that busy way. But the pitch was pretty good after the first hour or so. And particularly, I, I think that it was easier, once Philander was sort of out of the attack, clearly not fully fit... I don't think he's a person, a bowler, who likes the hard yards anyway. So once they got over Philander's real skill, using that little bit of movement there was in the pitch, I think someone would have got the, the England run. So I could see them getting 400 anyway, but obviously
2: Roots innings was terrific. What about England's top order? We, we've talked about it quite a lot over the last three, four, five months on on this podcast. It, it still doesn't look quite right i mean gary balance Mm. uh, a few runs in the game but did he convince you no It, it, it he's a fish out of water at number
0: three he just looks a bit tentative a bit inhibited as if he's almost still trying to grapple with his own technique a bit although i know he says he's comfortable with it it just looks he just looks vulnerable and and a little bit sort of easy to bowl at in a way he's only got The two shots, the sort of little cut and the work off his his hip, occasionally a bit of an off drive, but it doesn't give me a lot of confidence. But I suppose what... England are investing in, and particularly Root is investing is this sort of, this incredibly tenacious temperament he has of churning out runs. He doesn't care what he looks like. Mm. A bit like Alistair Cook, in a way, a slightly, a sort of poor man's Alistair Cook. You know, he just stays in and picks up runs and doesn't seem to get too flustered. But I just think his method doesn't really, no, it doesn't really convince me, no. And you've got a theory haven't you, about who should bat at number three? Well, I, I think England's second best batsman at the moment is Johnny Bairstow. After obviously Root, Cook... Is almost a taken as red. I mean, he's back to his accumulative best after that first innings, 60 odd in the second. He looked like the old Alistair Cook. But for a batsman who can sort of take on the bowlers consistently without taking big risks, Bairstow, for me, is is, is just batting out of his skin at the moment. He just looks as if he knows what the bowler's going to bowl, and he's in position earlier than anyone else. You can't keep batter number three. It's okay? hard, isn't it? It, it? Of course, it's hard. So. If he still keeps the gloves, of course, he can't bat at three. Maybe number three is too too high. And, and you know perhaps the fact that he's got the wicket-keeping as well gives him a certain licence to play a, a slightly freer game because he's got another string to his bow. So it's a very difficult balance. But, well, maybe number five is, is the best spot for him, which means England still need a number three. Balance is going to play at Trent Bridge. If he fails there, there's a week and a half to, between second and third tests. There is a
2: chance for somebody else, but but who is it? Well, it's, it's a very difficult question. We couldn't really answer it last week, and we we discussed about, about the players in, in county Creek who have had good seasons. As you know, Wesley and Dan Lawrence at Essex, who, who who scored runs, who are inverted commas candidates. But there aren't that many players who say you know putting their hand up and saying pick me. I mean, it was an interesting idea having Besto at three. Besto three, route four. Then who who comes in at five? Well, Stokes, I suppose. Stokes at five, Moe in at six, See, and then Stokes, your wicket keep then your wicket keeper batsman a, a, Stokes a at seven. Yeah, I, and I I like Stokes in a way. Or Butler at, five. at seven. Or Butler at seven. Possibly.
0: Maybe, but but I like Stokes at five because firstly a bit more time for him to bat and secondly I, I can't see him doing a lot of bowling actually this summer, he's not bowling particularly well
2: I'm not sure he's fully fit I can see him in well, the Well he field. said he was, i spoke to him uh, oh, before I he the, says he the is, second is, day take... he, said, he said that was five weeks ago, he said I don't know where this this idea is that I'm, I'm not fit to come from, I've got no idea I, You know, he looks fine when he's bowling and, and I've
0: watched him in practice and he comes in hard and he's bowling perfectly you know, full throttle but I don't know, I just think there's something that's not quite clicking with his bowling and there Therefore, at the moment, Root can't really trust him for an awful lot of overs, so he's not going to do much bowling. Therefore, the
2: ideal would have him number five. Do you think there's a possibility, any possibility, that England will say, Johnny Berto, actually, look, we want you to bat... And we'll we'll bring in another wicketkeeper batsman, and Ben Folkes has been talked about. They,
0: they they won't do it because it's they don't like sudden change, do they really? And they've obviously got to think long term. What are they going to do in the Ashes? But is
2: that long term? Is that it? Would that be long term thinking? If, well, if Gary Balance is not a success at number three, well, then why, why would they put the him in? Solution? Why do they
0: put him in this test if he's not long term solution? They've obviously got thinking that he is the long term solution. Otherwise, he wouldn't be playing now. So they've got to hope that he you know, get churns out the runs. I, I if I was the Australian fast bowlers, I'd be thinking, Great, England are batting Gary Balance at number three. Exactly, that's my
2: that's my point. So I mean I I, I, don't, I just don't see it's just not obvious that Gary Gary Balance is the solution at number I, three. I've got nothing against him. I, I, suppose, just, I just just don't see him as the solution at number three. Ultimately,
0: you know, what is the best batting order? Well of the of the current players they've got, I would say forget who's captain, I would say it's Cook and Jennings, root at three, because he's the best all round batsman. Bairstow, four. Stokes, five. Moen, six. Those are the best six players. But because Root's captain, you sort of want to give him that little bit of
2: uh, you know, leeway before he has to come in. What about the issue of six bowlers? There was some talk during the Test match that you know, Root's got this embarrassment of riches and that therefore some are going to miss out not bowling enough. To me, it seems like you know, it's a wonderful situation to be in, to have those options. You've got the 4 pace bowlers, you've got an off-spinner, you've got a left-arm spinner. Of course, you you, you know, love... To have a, a magical leg, <laughs> leg spinner, wouldn't you? And perhaps a, a left armor We'd well, but...
0: all like thirteen players, well, yeah. exactly.
2: But I mean, they're great options, Even, yeah. you know. All rounders gi- given to them by Stokes and, and yeah. Moen and, and Bairstow mm. I mean, so I, I would have thought it was a fantastic position to be in because mm. you, you play so much Test cricket. It's it's it's, a, it's concertina'd, <laughs> yeah. And it means that players like Anderson and, and Broad, who you know, you, you do need to manage a little bit. They don't have to bowl as many uh, many overs in every right. game. And, and what was
0: great about Root was he whipped Anderson. Off a couple of times in in that test, he didn't give him the fields he always wanted. You know, he, Anderson and Broad loved their extra cover to deny runs and roots a couple of times. said, no, no, I'm not having get that. Get another slip in and things like this. And he didn't let them dictate quite as much as they have done in the past, which is really good, because he had those other bowling options. And, I mean, Moen's bowling was, was outstanding. By the, by the way, you know, I looked up number seven batting, average averages 87. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. But uh, his bowling, I, which in a way is almost more important, because England needs someone they can sort of rely on. But what the good thing about his bowling is he turns the ball so much, and he's got a bit more consistent. So... Is, I think it's the first time an offspin has taken a temper at Lord's since the 1950s. Probably Jim Laker was the last. Well, he's not as good a bowler as Jim Laker, clearly, but consistency he had, the beautiful attacking line he bowled, the, uh, the, the big spin he got, very much helped by Mourley Morkel's footmarks. I did a piece on telly, actually, looking at the huge range of footmarks that Morley Morkel makes because, firstly, he bowls round and over the wicket, So that's a good reason for having lots of left handers because you're going round the wicket to the English left handers. But also, his big feet, his big strides, his big general momentum down the pitch creates even bigger rough for Moen to aim into against the right handers. That's one England spinner. What about the other, Liam Dawson? Okay. I'm not particularly excited by him, but yeah, he, he bowled well in the second innings, he bowled poorly in the first innings. Gave Too much leg side was whipped away by uh,
2: Hashim Amla. Obviously, had a terrible game with the bat, but it's perverse, that isn't it? They, well, England need a number eight. They, you know, <laughs> someone that can score runs. A number eight, the bloke gets gets a pair. I'd stick with him.
0: I, I don't think he's quite got his action right. He seems to be possibly beyond the vertical, which means these balls dip in and he overspins it and doesn't get a much actual sideways turn unless it's a real bunsen burner like it was on that fourth day. You know, I like his attitude. I think he'll get better,
2: hopefully. One thing that I took out of that test match, and it relates to something we we said at the start, we touched on at the start was Root's two drop catches, or one of didn't even lay, lay a hand on Aidan Markham. I think it's time, Simon. We have batting averages, we mm. have bowling averages. I think it's time to have fielding averages so mm. that you know what a players fielding average is i don't quite know how you you work it out mm. and i know chris taylor the england fielding coach is in the england setup as a fielding coach is working because we've talked about it before is, is working on an app mm. but fielding averages will be good wouldn't they to to give yeah. us an indication of, of a fielder's strength and and he has said and weaknesses and and he has said that the fielding app that
0: he's devised which is not generally available at the moment was very revealing on the champions trophy because they applied it to every game for every team, and they came up with a lot of interesting conclusions. But at the moment, they're keeping them to themselves. But you're right. You know, it's a it's a third of the game, really, fielding. And as you pointed out, you know, those two crucial drops of, of Joe Root could have changed the game. Though I don't think they would have actually.
2: But I've been at Lords well, a lot recently. I was there for the Royal London Cup final. That game, Stoneman 144 dropped, dropped. on 32. Hales 187 badly dropped yeah. on nine yeah. I mean, how,
0: how and it's not only, it's not only the, the, the catching as well it's, it's certain bits of ground fielding it's missed run outs it's, you know, it's so many aspects that you can use to, to measure a, a team's fielding performance which, well, you know watch this space, there'll be something out there before long
2: England to win 4-0, given decent weather you look at
0: Rabada out of the team for the second test uh, obviously, Faafu plus comes back, and that'll make a difference. It'll harden up South Africa a bit. Their middle order look very shaky, but the loss of Rabada kind of counters that. So, England to win four nil,
2: yeah, I reckon so. Okay, after the break, we'll focus a bit more on South Africa. Okay, we've talked about England. Let's focus on South Africa. Is this the thinnest South African batting lineup since readmission?
0: Probably is. Certainly, if you look at the middle order. I mean, I was looking at the, the team lists on the big screen on the first day and, you know, I, you know, I was a sort of, you know, average county bowler, but I, even I would have fancied bowling at them, really. You know, you look at after Hashimamba, class player, but the next three, Dumini at number four, who I've never rated, you know, he hits a few beautiful shots, but he always gets out. Then Bavuma, I, I reckon, he's, he's emerging, mm. decent, but not someone who's going to really hurt you. And then De at number six, so you think I I fancy a couple of those out you know, the first thing is they've got the cock coming in at number 8 which strikes me as madness which is far too low for him he's he's quality you know he's adam gilchrist with knobs on but at number 7 he's wasted so really he's got to go up the order but i, I you know i guess to going back to your question there is the, 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 the you know those three pillars of their team for for so long a decade Graham Smith, for longer than a decade, A.B. de Villiers and, of course, Jack Callis. You know, those three, close to 10,000 runs each of them, I think, um, in some cases more. You don't replace people like that overnight, and those guys were absolutely some of the greatest batsmen I've ever lived, certainly de Villiers and and Callis. In fact, I worked out a couple of years ago that if you add up Callis' test runs and one-day runs... It, it adds up to something like 28,000 or something. And his average over those two formats of the game was better than anyone else in history. He averages 54 in Tests and one day cricket, which is better than Tendulkar, Lara, anyone else. Viv Richards, you know, he, he is by average the best batsman who's ever lived internationally.
2: So they really miss someone like that. Mm. And what, uh, they've always had all-rounders as well. You know, even, I remember times when you, you, you got through some of those great batsmen, and then there was you know were really difficult lower-order players you had to get rid of, yeah. You know, the likes of Boucher and, and, and Brian B- McMillan, those oh, sort of players. God, he
0: was so kind of confrontational. Sean Pollock, of course, as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, Brian McMillan was so confrontational. He was in your face as a batsman, never mind the bowling. And, well, yeah, Sean Pollock, you know, brilliant. I mean, Philander is a decent cricketer, but... You don't feel that he really gets the bit between his teeth, you know. He's, he's got a great average actually. He's got the lowest wicket taking average of any current right. Test bowler, twenty two. But he bowls five overs with the new ball, comes back for a second of the spell, and then waits for the second new ball. You need someone to put in a little bit more
2: than that. And when you've only got four man attack as well, or four mainline bowlers, you, you do you you need a bit more, don't you? So, yeah,
0: they're an okay team, but uh, and du Plessis coming in at number four. Will certainly strengthen that middle order a touch, but there's no substitute for de Villiers and, and Callis in that in that middle order. It puts a lot of emphasis on Decoq producing you know flamboyant
2: innings and and keeping going. Well, let's get the view of, of Mike Hazeman now leading commentator in South Africa Australian born but then emigrated to South Africa, he's been there many years He watched an awful lot of South African cricket over the years, what did he make of South Africa's capitulation?
3: I think overall it was very disappointing. I mean, there seemed to be a situation where as soon as a couple of wickets fell in that second innings, and I think anything above the 200 mark, as it turned out, with the way the pitch played was going to be extremely difficult probably for any team. But there seemed to be a, an element of, uh, well, this is going to happen and there's no real game plan going on here. And yes, there was an unlucky dismissal of Quentin de Cock, But it just seems, I mean, I think the bowlers did a, did a pretty good job. It'd be nice if, if the catching was a bit better, which could have, could have been a real game changer earlier. And also so uh, on day four with Vernon Philander, putting that catch down. But the batsmen, I'm afraid, just weren't up to par. It doesn't help when you've got a couple of key guys missing. But uh, it was just really disappointing.
0: Looking ahead to the next test, uh, South Africa are also missing Rabada as well. It does make them look a little bit lightweight, with Stain obviously absent as well.
3: Absolutely. There's no doubt about that. And Rabada's loss is a massive blow. I mean, you've seen enough of him, Simon, so to realise uh, what, a, what a, a really rare talent he is. And um, yeah, everyone's pretty disappointed about the uh, the decision. I think it has got to go back to how it's written with the ICC. And I think we're all up to speed with that now by reading the press. I mean, that there should have been a it's simple, There should have been a situation where Jeff Crow was the match referee, uh, fined him severely reprimanded him sternly and said, it's not worth any points, for example. I mean, that's how I think it should have been. But it goes back even further. And we've all seen the, the the small confrontation that Rabada had with Dick Weller. I mean, there's no way that's worth uh, three points, and that's just how it's written. I mean, that's when there's contact, it's automatically three points. I mean, I think we all remember the situations like Java, Meandad, and Dennis Lille, and those horribly, horribly visual things for, <laughs> yeah. for, for cricket. Hmm. But uh, you know, two two relatively minor things have, have, have rubbed the game and robbed the game of uh, of, of terrific talent, and the spectators lose. But yeah, it it certainly does thin thin things up dramatically because he is the spearhead and was expected to to do a lot of work and and create a lot of damage in this series.
0: And one other person, I suppose, uh, is Hashim Amla. You, yep. you, you know, I have the highest regard for, but yep. his his average over the last year hasn't been quite as good. Is there a just a feeling there that he's just tipped over the edge, and or is it that a dangerous assumption to make? I think that's
3: a very dangerous assumption to make. Uh, I really do. I've seen him look magnificent in, in, in scores of you know, just below the 50 mark and people say he hasn't got past 50 in, in, X number of in last X number of innings. But I've seen him uh, look, look magnificent and, and then just get out. But, so I think it's a very dangerous assumption and, and I think anyone who's writing him off is making a
2: mistake. Well, that's Mike Hazeman. So don't write off Hashim Amla and Rabada's ban. Really harsh. Do you agree with that? I do.
0: Uh, I'm not sure about Amler. I, I know he's got 2600s and he's, you know, he's a phenomenal player. I love watching him. It's like watching a bit like Roxy Mohammad Adin or uh, the great VVS Lachman. You know, these batsmen with his incredible wrists like bowling at a revolving door, beautiful player. After you get to 34, 35, I, I don't know whether that style works quite as well. The way they play it so late, sometimes it's a bit too late, sort of thing. So I'd be, you know, confident of of England stopping Amler, from certainly from the prolific series he had here four years ago when he got a triple hundred. Rabada's ban is ludicrous. Uh, you know, I, well, you want a bit of passion on the field, and well, I, I think I tweeted if John Embry had been playing these days, you know his sort of Tourette syndrome habit you'd never have got on the field. You know, you want a bit of expression, and so what if they tell someone to F off, really? You know, I don't care about it. I think it's a real shame because he's such a beautiful bowler and they need him to make a contest out of it. No, I mean, obviously, you can't make rules because a person needs to be in the other team. But I think he was very harshly dealt with and you should look at his overall character, surely, and, and see a guy who's passionate about the game, hasn't had a, a great history of transgressions. So there should have been a bit more forgiving, maybe have a little word with him, but... You know, let him off.
2: Well, the, the big problem for him was that he got a, a three-pointer for mm. that incident with Dick Weller in the one-day international in February. Mike Hazen's point there was that you know it was it was very harsh. Okay, there was some physical confrontation. We've we've talked about this though, haven't we? That the, you know the importance of uh, drama, really. Well, but also the but also the importance of. of making sure that games d- don't boil over, because what happens at the top level can, can mm. boil over at, at club level. And we've all seen incidences where you think, well, you know, th- this isn't right. This shouldn't be happening in, in club cricket. And, no, and, and, and perhaps the, the, the top level has a, has a job to, to, to set the standards? A little bit, but isn't it just society? You know, I was driving down the
0: A316 the other day, and these two drivers, a taxi driver and another driver, were trying to basically bump each other off the road for about... Ten minutes. That's you know, not a good society thing, Society is, is That's not a good thing. Well, no, no, it's not a good thing. I'm not trying to encourage it, but I, I don't think that club players or school players necessarily get their ideas from test cricket. They get, I think they get their ideas from society, mm-hmm. and society is more confrontational than it was. Road rage is, is everywhere, so there's a bit of cricket rage as well. I think what Rybada has done in previous games... Isn't severe enough to warrant a ban. Maybe a, a bit of a slap on the wrist, but nothing worse than that. Yeah, I
2: think the feeling was the, the one point he got at Lord's was unnecessary. Um, and perhaps the, the, the three pointer, well, that's, that's a separate issue. There was physical contact with Dick Weller, a separate issue, but a one point for uh, swearing that was picked up by the stump, mic at, at Lord's was probably mm, a bit harsh. Yeah, and, and I'm
0: surprised at Jeff Crow, really, the match referee, because he's a very reasonable, very balanced man. I think he just overreacted. Another interested onlooker at first test was my old Middlesex teammate, the phenomenal South African fast bowler, and I say phenomenal in every sense of the word, Vincent van der Beel He's about six foot seven, he's an enormous character. And he he's, a eight... man, he's a
2: lovely man, though. He's lovely man. He's a gentle he? giant, yeah. isn't he? Yeah.
0: And and he had a phenomenal season, the one season he played for Middlesex, eighty-five wickets at fourteen in the nineteen eighty championship winning season. And he's done a lot of things in his life, but now he's in his own unique way presiding over the transformation of the South African team. It's a team in transition. I suppose you'd say at the moment but he's heading up a fantastic initiative in partnership with our own Maryland Cricket Club the MCC to get sport and cricket into the seriously disadvantaged townships of the Cape Peninsula. The national federations don't have enough money to actually spread
1: the word of their sport throughout the country so there are 25,000 schools there who have almost no sport at all and so we have to drop these seeds around and I'm just one of many through a company called Masi which is an NGO and MCC, who are developing this. And there are lots of these around. Gary Kirsten's involved. A lot of people are involved out there. But we have to make give people the ability to have full self-worth. And it's important for the country, because the government doesn't seem to have the will to do it. It's important for the country that we develop holistic, South Africans in all walks of life, from every religion and every race, you know. Um, and this is just a small drop in the ocean, but it's a beautiful thing to do, you know, and I'm loving every minute of it.
0: Can you see a time when the South African cricket team will be 10 blacks or coloured and just one white player?
1: Oh man, it's a difficult one to answer, because if you look at soccer, it's predominantly black. Because you know the various different groups now. This could be socio-economic. It's not necessary built around um, national race. Um, and I think you know the whites will always be pretty good. The colours are producing great cricketers consistently every year, coming from Buland in the Western Cape. They've got some schools there who are not Model C or private schools, but the the ex-players who are colored who went to those schools going coach and they produce great um, colored kids. So if you're including colored amongst them an Indian producing some great spinners at the moment, I think we're going to have a truly South African um, team um, using the various skills. I mean, so the Indians are coming through strongly with especially spin and batting. You know, the coloured community are just pumping out cricketers. They're doing an incredible job. And, you know, Bavuma. someone like Bavuma is exciting for us, coming from Lange. You know, the batsman that he is have developed a really test mind in a very short space of time, you know.
0: And obviously Rabada.
1: And and, uh, Rabada is just a great bowler. You know, I mean, he's a serious bowler. He bowls, even when he's bowling at 80%, he's above most of the others. You know, he's a really fine cricketer. So we're very encouraged, you know. South Africa has extraordinary potential, wonderful opportunities, but we have a lot of inequality, which all of us in the country must try and um, change. You know, we've got it.
0: Vincent van der Beyl's initiative is, is certainly a really good one, and the MCC have, have partnered with him in it just because they were so compelled by his personality and also just the sound of the project generally, which is to try and get sport into more townships uh, around South Africa generally. Very disadvantaged groups of people. There's about 50% unemployment in a lot of these townships, and, and yet there is you know, beautiful people and genuine sporting ability. In a lot of them, Boeruma, of course, comes from
2: one of the townships, Langer Township in in Cape Town, Which is just outside Cape Town. If you're driving in from the airport, or you see your, it, don't yeah, you? you see it on the on the left hand side. Went, I
0: went to it actually when we were in uh, Cape Town last time, and you know, it, it, it's slightly sort of bits of it are slightly intimidating, but overall, I mean, there's this sort of happiness and joy there. But they just want more to do, and clearly, the uh, this this initiative is something that's that's trying to help that. It's a, a website that you can go to to read more about it and possibly donate if you're interested, www.masicorp.org, www.mazico, www.masicorp.org. That's the site that, that van is really working with to try and get more
2: cricket in the townships, essentially, which is which is great. Shall we finish with our Highlight Lowlight and our Royal London... Player of the Week. I think it's an obvious Royal London Player of the Week this week. Moen. Moen Alley.
0: Mm-hmm. A, a, a phenomenal performance. And and his batting set it up. But I watched him practice a bit with Sack Lane Mushtak, who was with the England side for, I think, most of the Test match as a sort of spin bowling coach. And Moen works really hard. You know, he's always out there... Not only doing all the fielding and everything, but just doing his bowling over and over again, bowling at a little patch on the on the strip, on the side strip, getting some cones out to aim at, talking to Sackleyan after every ball about just little variations of grip or trajectory or getting the right pace as well for the pitch. And in fact, Ollie Rayner, the Middlesex spinner, very experienced bowler at Lords, he tweeted on the first innings after South Africa had been bowled out for whatever it was, 350, and Moen had taken four for it. he said Moen got the right pace for that pitch, and mm. his seam position was immaculate, and he really looked the part in this test, he was perhaps slightly flattered by the, the conditions which were more spin friendly than I've ever seen at Lord's, but but he exploited them absolutely superbly, and he took two brilliant catches. Yeah, they were good catches, weren't they? Yeah. Really, and he's got a fantastic pair of hands. Uh, and all the players absolutely love him, don't they? Uh, you know, you can just feel that the that they that he's one of their favourite players in the team. He's just got a little cheeky grin on his face. He fancies himself as a footballer a bit. They always get him up front in the in the football matches before the before the game starts, and he's just. And absolute. Well, I, I think I made it made out that
2: he's he's sort of England's mojo at the moment. <laughs> well, the other amazing thing about, it, of course, is that he had he had this great game last Test match he played for England. He batted number four, scored 188 runs. He gets dropped three okay. places in the order, so he'll be number ten next time. <laughs> he's he's batted from every position to one from one, one to nine. nine. Yeah, right. Our, our our low light of the week.
0: Yes, um, it's something I've gone on about a bit that might happen, and it has. Mm. Luke Fletcher being hit running into bowl, smashed on the head, a batsman hitting one on the up and it just going through his hands, bursting through his hands, smashing him on the head. And it looked initially really, really serious. He went down on the ground, he held his hands onto his head where obviously he'd been hit. There was panic as people rushed out to try and treat him. Uh, it sounds as if he's OK now. Mm. And I think he was lucky because... The ball hit him on a hard bit of his head, right at the front, sort of in the middle of the forehead. And I have a silly um, recollection of that myself. When I was actually batting in a match in South Africa, in a state game, provincial game, facing the bowling of Neil Radford, formerly of Worcestershire. Uh, it was, you know, skiddy, quick and He bowled me a bouncer, and I went to hook it, rather rashly, and got hit on the head. And I was only wearing a cap. And the ball actually ricocheted back off my head, straight back down the wicket. So it was a full-on blow, but it hit me right in the middle of the head. And I actually, swear to God, I didn't feel it. I know that's going to make you think, yeah, well, of course <laughs> well, you didn't. There's an
2: obvious comment to yeah. make, like, well, and because it's so obvious, I won't make it. But, but, but is, it, there we can, is there anything anything the game could do to prevent an incident like Lou Fletcher? Or is it it's just part and parcel of the game? It is part and parcel of the game I don't know what you can do What Bowlers running in I skull caps Well I don't I'm know Some, I mean batsmen have protection don't they do, I mean the, the umpires are now going for protection Is there something bowlers, wear helmets Is there something bowlers can wear Is there something that the manufacturers can develop for bowlers Well but, but it, it's so
0: difficult isn't it Because you want something that isn't Inconvenient and too hot And uncomfortable You just to wear. put it
2: on to bowl you over Then you take it off and give to the umpire I don't know it, yeah, perhaps the way the game's going, it, it might happen. There we, get
0: is... a, we get everybody looking like they're bald, won't they, I suppose? Like pink pink plastic on the top of their head as they run into the bowl and then of course the shot will miss and break their jaw or something so it's a dangerous game being a bowler and we've tried obviously to restrict the size of bats so they don't get any bigger obviously batsmen are are, are belting the ball harder than ever I suppose the only thing I'd say is bowlers have got to make sure when they follow through that their head's up because some bowlers still do bowl with their head down as they let go of the ball and at least they should
2: be looking at it when the batsman strikes it Highlight of the week to finish, well, within just before five minutes before England beat South Africa in the Test match, England's women beat Australia in the Women's World Cup. The first time since 1983 they've beaten Australia in a World Cup match. Good stat. The other excellent aspect of England's victory is they, they were under real pressure in the tournament. I mean, they, they still might not qualify for the semi finals. They've given themselves a great chance now, but if they'd lost that game, they would have been under real pressure, effectively, having a almost a knockout game with New Zealand this week. There was some good
0: hitting by by a lot of England batsmen. Danny White hit some good blows. Catherine Brunt down the order. Quite a few straight sixes, I saw. And they held their nerve in the field. Actually, there was a great catch taken by Nat Seaver on the boundary. Yeah, she nearly yeah. overbalanced. She was like, it was one of the men taking it, you know, Over the top of the rope, edge of the rope, right over her head. Uh, And the one thing I've seen actually with with the women's game lately is the fielding has been outstanding at all levels. It's
2: really good to see, and it gives England real hope that they can win this tournament now. It also means they might not have to play Australia in the semi-finals. The way things were going, even if they'd qualified, it might well be they had to play them in the the semi-finals. But a lot to be decided in the Women's World Cup this week. The final group games Wednesday and Saturday. OK, that's just about it. From us for this week, please continue to leave reviews of this podcast on iTunes. We'd love to know what you think. You can also subscribe to The Analyst Inside Cricket so you'll get the programme automatically each week. You just click on the button where it says subscribe. So England one up in the Investec test series. Next week it might be two up. We'll see how things go at Bridge. We'll review that match next week. Thanks for listening.